Speak the charm of me. There will come a time on the planet Earth when science and technology will be long forgotten. When wizards will lose This is the Arnamancy Podcast. The world is weirder than we know. Join your host, Reverend Eric, in his diverse array of amazing guests in an exploration of tarot, magic, the occult, and the history of Western esotericism. The Arnamancy Podcast exists thanks to the support of generous listeners like you. Please consider supporting this podcast for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash arnamancy. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Reverend Eric. My guest this episode is Makala Ann. She's a podcaster, a student of bridal mysticism, and a professional diviner. Makala runs SaturnVox, a multimedia occult education and divination platform based out of New Orleans. In this episode, we will be discussing a model of how divination, specifically tarot, actually works. In fact, we will be discussing Makala's model. I know I called this episode Intuitive Tarot, but I think that you will find that what Makala means by intuitive is more complex and nuanced than you might expect. This episode is also the first part of a collaboration that this podcast is having with the Saturn Vox podcast. On November 12th, Makala will be releasing her interview with me on her podcast, where I will go into my model of tarot divination using the art of memory. Be sure to check it out. And by the way, November 12th is also my birthday. Now, it's time for you to grab a beverage and a cozy chair and to settle in for my interview with Saturn Vox's Makala Ann. And so I'm just going to start with the definition that I got off of an internet dictionary, which is probably true. Uh, semiotics is the study of signs as an element of communication, uh, as, as well as an, the analysis of systems of communication. Uh, does that make sense to you? <laughs> I, I would say that that accurately describes what it is about, yes. It's a fancy All right, way of over. saying, We're done. <laughs> yeah, let's go home. Yeah, it's just a fancy way of saying um, signs have meanings, almost like what hieroglyphs are, you know? So kind of like... We're typically really used to uh, signs, you know, sort of like in everyday life and everyday communication, uh, we use, you know, letters, like individual letters. And they don't... But, but semiotics is more about kind of maybe full words as units of meaning or anything as units of meaning. Like when you're talking about hieroglyphs, um, they tend to be uh, pictographs a lot of times, right? So it'll be like, you know, the, the bird is a symbol of a bird, but it can also make, you know, a specific sound. Right? Yeah, or or the bird can also represent writing, you know, mm, uh, mm-hmm. if it's if it's, you know, a specific kind of bird that maybe is associated somehow with both, um, then that bird becomes a symbol of a scribe, right? Mm-hmm. Or even and and there, so it can be a picture. A symbol of some kind, like let's think about the caduceus and how the meaning of the caduceus has changed over time due to mm-hmm. its use. So this is a really good demonstration of how the sign isn't a static or like the thing signified by the sign is not static. These things that are signified by the sign can change depending on cultural influence, your own psychological state, your parents' opinion on such and such. But so, for example, with the caduceus, it used to be 
a symbol of like total health, mind, body, completely in line with the spiritual world as well as the material world, um, which has now kind of been reduced, I would say through a misconception or like somebody mistaking the caduceus for the staff of Asclepius or Asclepius or however you say his name. <laughs> I usually say Asclepios. Asclepios. <laughs> oh, I love that. I heard somebody say Asclepius, and I was like, is he Sleepy the Dwarf now? <laughs> That's what that sounds like to me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that I think that that staff was replaced by the Caduceus when we started using the Caduceus as the symbol for hospital. Now, mm -hmm. the caduceus, when I wear my caduceus, I go out, people ask me, are you a nurse? Oh, do you work in, in healthcare? Y yes, I work in healthcare. Yes, thank you for noticing. <laughs> but of course, my healthcare is a more, to you know, it's healthcare of the mind, healthcare of mm -hmm. the spirit, it has nothing to do with working in a hospital, but that's what people assume. Yeah, and also if you it doesn't you don't have to go back very long before you see, you know, like in the 1800s it was used by banks. You know, because see, of the See, I didn't even know that. It was associated oh, yeah. if with you bankers. See, yeah, I bet you I bet you if you look around New Orleans you can find like an old bank that has Hermes on it. I'm going to go on a hunt for this. It's going to be like okay. geocaching but better. Okay, and I'm sure you'll you're gonna post a picture on Instagram. It'll be like yeah, I'll tag like, you. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> then we'll have something relevant for the masses. <laughs> People will see your your caduceus necklace, and they'll be like, "Are you in healthcare?" You're like, no, I'm a banker <laughs> of the soul. <laughs> oh gosh, I love that. But yeah, there, there are so many signs that that change over time, but even signs that can be considered different within a, a friend group, for example, like let's say the Apple icon. In the same friend group, that can make somebody think of wealth, status, luxury. The other person, maybe they have like a less materialistic mindset or they're very anti-capitalist. They look at the Apple logo and they're thinking like, eat the rich, you know, instead mm -hmm. of, oh, that's something to aspire for. It becomes a symbol to aspire against. So it, it all depends on your own psychological disposition sometimes as well. Yeah. And actually, even more interestingly, like, you could have a relig religious interpretation of the apple. You know, somebody could look at it as the, the fruit from Genesis. Somebody else could even be looking at it as, you know, a symbol of health. You know, the apple a day keeps your banker away or whatever. <laughs> However that old saying goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so then that kind of uh, view of, of, almost kind of like discrete symbols can be really interesting in a tarot card because one card can have like a bunch of stuff going on on it. You know? Yep. Um, do you then, uh, so when you're looking at a tarot card, how, how do you, uh, how do you then figure out what the heck the symbols mean? How do you know where to start? Is well, that too broad a question? <laughs> no, no, no. It's not too broad. I just, I hope that the starting point I'm going to pick fully answers the the question. Mm -hmm. um, so the system that I first started learning tarot through, it wasn't, I didn't take a class on intuitive tarot. I did not start there. Uh, actually, intuitive tarot is my finishing point, not my starting point. Uh, I started with, you know, the more ceremonial magician concept, which is there is a formula. There's a linguistic formula of different signs and signifiers that make up this card. And that's why I said to you, I view it as a 
what did I say? A symbiotic container. It's a container yes, yes. that you put things in, okay? And the okay. formula is like the the sign that I'm using that says these mm-hmm. are the things that go into the container. So, like, let's say uh, th- uh, two of wands, for example. Um, you have uh, Hukmah. In Atziluth, which is the Kabbalistic world, plus Mars and Aries, which is your astrological decan. And mm-hmm. so those are, like, that's my formula that I can then put things in. So the things that you see on the Rider Waite card and on uh, Crowley's Thoth deck card are just there, these two magicians' interpretations of what these signs signify. So Mm -hmm. I I feel like I can choose to agree or disagree with them as any good Jew would, right? This is a (laughs) a debate I'm having with dead magicians, right? About whether I agree or disagree with whether that is Mars and Aries or that is Hukmah and Atziluth or what it means to combine the two together. But I can at least accept that the images I see on the cards are these people's way of making sense of those signs. So where to start? Your question, where do I start? I start by figuring out what the heck these things in the formula means. So I started studying Kabbalah. I started studying astrology so that I could say, well, this is what Mars and Aries means. And this is what it would mean to say, you know, I'm, I'm acting Hokmah in the world of Atzilu. I need to know what those words mean. So for me, it, I didn't start with this picture has a a man standing on a mountain looking out, and how does that make me feel? You know, that's something that I've come to later uh, as a way to maybe allow different decks to have a different voice uh, by allowing the pictures to speak to me, if that makes sense. It does, it does. So do you still... So when you talk about intuitive tarot, then do you still use your original starting point? You know, the, you know, the, uh, you know, like a chokmah and atzalut and all that kind of stuff. Do you still use that, that starting point when you're looking at the two of wands and then use the artwork on the card or the symbols that are on the, on the card of whatever deck you're using to uh, like inform and influence that? depends on what deck I'm using because like for example the Thoth deck if you're working with the pip cards specifically there's no real picture there it's just two wands and maybe they're mm-hmm. like sort of active looking wands they, I think it's the dojas on that card so there's this like sort of martial arts feel not necessarily bad but like definitely a level of violence and maybe dance and you know then the the Mars and Aries, I do bring that up a lot when I talk about two of wands with my clients. It's so oftentimes it comes up because it means go, do the thing. Yes. So mm-hmm. when I use that imagery of like the seed sprouting out of the shell, like it takes that strength. It takes that sort of courage for the seed to say, I don't know or for the sprout to say, I don't know what's outside of this shell, but I got to break out of this shell and and see. That can be a mm-hmm. very inspiring metaphor that people understand and relate to. So I will use it in that way. I try to use metaphors that I have learned about the different mystical concepts so I don't have to say, oh, what do you mean you don't understand what Mars and Aries means? I can just say... Imagine you are a sproutling trying to break out of the shell and burst out of the ground and people get that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have uh, kind of a, a whole catalog of those sorts of metaphors then? Do you like I try to. I do. I feel like that mm-hmm. is the work of a good reader 
is yeah. to try to allow yourself to draw inspiration from the world around you. Take note of different different things and say, oh, yes, this is a, a th three of wands moment. You know, like so I'll catch myself doing this with my friends. I'll be having a conversation with my girlfriends and I'll be like, oh, that's very four of swords. Even if they don't like they don't know what I'm talking about, but I notice what they said. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, I need to take a step back and calm down before I respond to this person. Okay, yeah, that's a Four of Swords moment. So I try to allow my brain to be malleable enough to pick up on these things just as I go about my day, as I go about that, my life. That's an interesting way to... Um kind of uh, not only like apply the lessons of tarot, but to like learn more about the individual cards too, to kind of allow yourself or even to train yourself to uh, look for correspondences between cards and things happening in the everyday world. That's, that's a good idea. Yeah. It, and it, and it's fun. Like it can be kind of like a game, kind of like you are um, piecing puzzle together, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's say you're opening up a brand new deck of cards, brand new deck of tarot cards, cards you've never seen before. It's a deck you've never seen before. Uh, an artist you don't even know, have never even heard of. I mean, what is the first... So how quickly then does your... Uh, how, how quickly do the sort of like containers of the cards start to make sense like do you feel like there's a lot of crossover like if you if somebody gives you like the uh i don't know the kitten vampire fairy deck or whatever <laughs> would you be able to read with it <laughs> this is something that i have worked at reconciling since mm -hmm. I started reading tarot, I started learning what a lot of people would call the Thoth system, which I would personally reject that term now because it's just that people are more aware that the Thoth deck is set up with these formulas. A lot of people don't realize that the Rider Waite is meant to have the exact same formulaic, you know, stuff. So I would hear people be like, oh, well, six of cups, it doesn't actually mean childhood uh, memories. It means, you know, we're having some sort of ecstatic emotional experience. Well, why do mm -hmm. you remember your good childhood memories? Because you felt exactly. ecstatic. Right. That's why you remember them years later. That's why they're nostalgic. So it's the same in both. I will... Uh, I, I mean, maybe say something controversial, no disrespect to any of the beautiful, beautiful decks that are out there that have been modeled off of the Rider Waite, or maybe somebody was just like, whatever, I'm going to make beautiful fairy vampire kittens on every card. Good for them. Yes, that's lovely. I would love to use that deck, but I will probably ignore the pictures on it if I don't agree with, like, okay, so I have a deck that does this, actually, that there's one card in particular. It's a beautiful card. It's like a bunch of people with their arms and legs all mushed together, but it had nothing to do with that card as far as my understanding of the semiotic container. I want to say it was eight of, of discs, which is, you know, the sun in Virgo. It's a very organized card. Like to me, mm -hmm. I don't see a lot of like weird disjointed bodies in that card. I love it. I think it's a wonderful painting. I have no idea what it has to do with eight of discs. But when I pull that card, I'm just going to read it like I would read my Thoth or my Rider Waite 3. Or, I'm sorry, 8 of Discs. I'm not going to try to come up with something that has to do with people being squished together because that doesn't match my personal understanding of the 8 of Discs. So in that way, it, it I find it harder to connect intuitively. I'm no longer using my 
I'm no longer using the deck or the deck spirit to be the intuitive guide. I'm using like my own tutelary spirits and like divinatory uh, mm. packs that I've made to help at that point, if that makes sense. That does make sense. Do you do you think it kind of um, do you think it kind of gets in the way? Does that uh, sometimes like does that influence the uh, the decks you use? It it only got in the way in the sense that the metaphors and imagery that I wanted to use to explain the card did not match up with what was on the card, and that made it more difficult for my clients to understand. I was using this deck right. I'm talking about a lot when I was reading tarot in the French Quarter, and eventually I did switch decks, and it that was my own personal preference. It wasn't because my readings were failing. It wasn't because my clients were leaving unhappy. It was because I was tired of having to explain a whole and draw a whole different picture for my client in their head. And mm -hmm. also having to like walk them away from whatever anxiety the picture was expressing. I didn't want them to think because the picture was just very intense. It, it definitely yeah. brought a sense of anxiety to it, which again is like not something that I think about when I think of eight of discs. So I don't want my client. And that's another important part about semiotics and maybe why Crowley chose not to put any pictures on the pip cards is because any imagery on the card is going to affect you whether you want to or not. As a reader, then reading for my clients who has more of an understanding, I'm still going to get that emotional impulse that, oh, we're all tied together. But I take a breath. I step myself back and say, I know that's not what this card is about. And then I have to guide my client then out of that anxiety and to the point where I want them to be. So in that way, I do find it difficult. Yes. You know, it's reminding me this the the idea of um using the cards as semantic containers but also kind of having like a a fallback to uh sort of like a system that you use it's reminding me of an of an experience that i have with a lot of cards where i will look at it and i'll be reading it for the client and then i'll be like uh oh yeah and in the in the rider weight deck this has the picture of blah 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 on it and mm -hmm. it, it you know it means and, you know, I've always thought that, thought of this card as meaning this, but it doesn't necessarily match the artwork of the card in front of me. And that now that I'm thinking about it, that's kind of bugging me. It kind of makes me feel like I need to be a little bit more flexible with some of the decks. And I need to be a little bit more critical of some of the decks that I use. I mean, I personally, I personally think that's the better way to go, although I, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to, I would never want to make anybody who is a pictorially intuitive reader feel ashamed of the way that they are approaching tarot. I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For I sure. think it's personal preference for a lot of it. There are, and of course, like, Props to independent artists. I don't want to... What, what can we as magicians do to, to unpopularize tarot? If anything, I would, I would rather it become more popular so that people spend mm -hmm. more money on it. That would benefit me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Astrology has I mean... had its time. It's, it's tarot's turn. <laughs> <laughs> didn't we already get like a chance a few years ago wasn't there some sort of like uh didn't one of those um uh brands that like markets to to teenage girls release some sort of like tarot deck kit or something you know i don't i don't know but i wouldn't be surprised I might be if they did i mean yeah i wouldn't be surprised i do think I do think tarot is on some sort of resurgence. Uh, I think people have the tendency to want to to view tarot as a lesser art than astrology. Mm -hmm. I I think they're very different. I think there's a lot more math involved in astrology. So, like, if you're, and I think you know, to some degree, even though I think they're both lifetime. You have, you'll, you'll basically be a student for your entire life. There'll always be more to learn. But 
you know, astrology is arguably more complicated, but tarot, I think, uses a deeper sense, that deeper sense of intuition and the ability to discern what emotions come up from the sign, what comes up from the picture, you know, those sorts of things. I don't yeah. mean to say that astrology doesn't do that as well. I just feel like there's, because there's less guided information or like less tips and tricks and techniques, you know, there's no 500 different techniques to figure out the exact meaning of the birth chart that can be agreed <laughs> upon by multiple different astrologers with tarot. Oftentimes, I don't even think that two, two different readers should be reading each other's spreads because of this semiotic difference. Your emotional mood, your engagement is going to affect the way the cards speak to you. You know, I actually really, really agree with that. Um, you know, there are a lot of uh, internet forums and stuff where people will be like, I need help interpreting this spread, this reading, and they'll have their cards out there. And I always look at it and I'm like, I don't, how, how, how am I supposed to do that? Like, I wasn't there. <laughs> yes. I'm not always certain. I'm not really certain that the cards have a um, divinatory power that is separate from the diviner. You know, I think that the diviner needs to be the one there. I think that they act as sort of like a um, connection between something that you can use to communicate with the client and whatever, you know, divinatory astral juice is happening in the unseen <laughs> world. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I think I know what uh, forum you're talking about. I think there's only one. I could be wrong. Well, uh, I was I was actually just thinking of Reddit. Oh, oh wow. Okay. So I think there's I think there's way more than one. I, I've seen it on Facebook groups, I've seen it on on Reddit, uh and um I I'm even on like a Discord server where people post their stuff every once in a while. They're like, I need help interpreting this and I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, there's one online. It's like called tarotforums.com. And I actually think it's lovely. It's mm -hmm. very well, like, they're very respectful. It's not like a catty internet forum like one will remember if you were blessed and or cursed to be on the internet uh, in the early 2000s. But um, it's, it's interesting because I'll read through. People will be like, what does this card mean in relation to this question? And every mm -hmm. single answer is just a little bit different. And they all are kind of bringing in the, the person writings, uh, interpretate, like own life experiences. They'll, they'll cite readings that they've given. They'll be like, you know, oh, what does it mean when I get X card for how a boy feels about me? Oh, well, when I pulled that card, it meant he was disinterested. But you'll see a completely different person say, oh, I pulled that card because he was just, so interested, but was afraid, and so he didn't want to approach or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just, I think that that those forums in and of themselves are a very good example that no reader actually views any one card the same. The interesting thing is the those similarities. What are, that's what I find interesting is what are these key similarities that they're pulling from that make them think this card means X. Mm -hmm. um, like, I, I'll think of one, for for example, I saw somebody say, and this one, see, and like, for me personally, I didn't like this. I don't want to say that they were wrong, but they pulled the world for how somebody felt about them. Okay? From a Thoth understanding, I'm thinking they're walking away. They're moving on to something oh, else. Oh, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. because it's a uh, it's cycles. It's a cycles card, right? Here's right. the, the interesting yeah. thing about the sign and the signifier. This person pulled the world, and they thought he thinks the world of me. He thinks I am his world. Two Ooh. completely different interpretations of what that card might mean, and I would say both are equally valid, maybe for different reasons. One coming from this more semiotically, you know, formulaic perspective 
one coming from the image, what that word, the world, means to the person, you know. But also, there is some sort of, I, I could make that person's, well, he thinks the world of me makes sense in my own understanding of the universe card. If it is mm -hmm. Tav, it, if it is the ending and beginning, maybe they're ready to end some bad life habits and and start changing so that they can can better bring me into their world or have a dance a dance with me because the woman is dancing on the card right so right I, right so you don't it doesn't have to be oh they're thinking of walking away and moving on to something else it could mean that he thinks the world of you that just isn't how i would have thought of it right off the bat you know yeah, it's a little uh it's a little on the nose in fact, isn't it? It's kind of like you see the world, just seeing the word the world and instead of paying attention to the symbolism of the card, your first thought is I'm just going to stick it into this like everyday idiom. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's huh. Yeah, I can see that being kind of a trap. So then what would be the way to, uh, you know, for somebody who doesn't know, doesn't have the background in Kabbalah or doesn't have the background in, in the Thoth system, what would be the way to approach a card like that intuitively? Um, would you want to kind of stop yourself from those immediate associations and spend time with the card, perhaps? I mean, I would always recommend that people do daily pulls and mm -hmm. and see what the cards want to say to you specifically or get to know each of their individual voices like there have been times that I never would have thought such and such card could mean x but I pulled it as my daily card and something happened and I was like oh wow that's definitely what the cards were talking about but I never would have thought of that before that can be a really amazing exercise to like expand what goes in your container uh allowing the cards to teach you instead of you trying to like force some sort of meditation you can of course you know read the mystics and re and read the astrologers and and meditate on th on that that's a form of meditation as well it, you know trying to engage with somebody else's ideas and expand and break it apart within your own soul however you see fit that works uh but if you're a if you're a more pictorial learner and you're really vibing on that version of of the sign and that's what you're trying to take your significance from in the world card it's a com she's on the rider weight for example like let's say you don't read both she's it went contained within a circle so there's that same idea of we're in a we've completed a cycle within the pictures mm -hmm. there and she's beautiful and she's almost, you know, the angel is triumphantly emerged or whatever. Maybe she's a goddess. I haven't read, uh, I have not read Arthur Waite's booklet. So I'm not an expert on what he thought each every image was meant to represent. Um, but whatever, the woman who's meant to represent the world is this beautiful, you know, ha you know, naked woman with a banner covering her who's got, like, triumph symbols in her hand. So you know, even though there is an ending happening, some sort of cycle has been completed, We it's completed in full growth. It's completed in full beauty. It's, it's successfully... Mm -hmm. You could even... Uh, there's a very, it's very like yawny, like, like she's emerging from the womb. So you could even see that as a completion as well as a birth, which Crowley, of course, tries to bring pictor. Crowley tried to bring that same idea pictorially into the, the Thoth deck. I don't know that I would have even picked up on it if I hadn't have read somebody smarter than me talking about it. Like pictorially, I never saw in Crowley's image that he was trying to represent the Vesca Pisces and the the birth and unfolding mm. of matter in that card that took a person smarter than me that was me having to meditate on somebody else's insight <laughs> not something I pictorially picked up on my own but yeah that idea is in both cards you know yeah I you know um 
I'm very inexperienced with the Thoth deck. I've, uh, I think I got my first one like just a couple years ago, like maybe just before wow. the pandemic. And I got a little, I got a little tiny one. <laughs> I like the tiny ones because it's easier to shuffle. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I mean, yeah, me too. But <laughs> I guess, uh, I just haven't, um, I just haven't spent a whole lot of time with it. There are so many tarot decks. <laughs> there are you so kind of got to pick your battles. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that you that uh, that I thought was sort of interesting when you were describing the Rider Weight deck, you were talking about, um, you know, like the symbols of of triumph and kind of like victory and stuff. Like that's something that uh, isn't necessarily like really common knowledge anymore. Like those are symbols that might have been much better, much much more well known a century ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, it does kind of outline how you're not going to be getting uh, kind of like the full effect of what's going on in a tarot deck unless you are familiar with the, with the culture that produced it. Right. Which is sort of like part of the semiotic bucket or so container. Yes. And I think that that is in one way, I wouldn't say it's a flaw of these, this, like the rules of pictorial communication, if you want to call it that, uh, that, that there does seem to be malleability, not just like we spoke earlier, uh, not, not just within your own friend group, but in the, like the Apple icon, does that inspire me to feel envious or aggressive, um, or proud of myself for owning one, whatever. <laughs> um, but you know, things like the Caduceus. There's a really good modern example of that in things like the icon of the floppy disk being the universal save symbol. But there are no one in Gen Z who are honestly better at the internet than I am even know what a floppy disk is. They just see that button and they don't have any association to the object. They just know mm-hmm. this button means save. Eventually, that will be probably redesigned and there will become another universal image that represents the save icon. And if you were to make a, a tarot deck, you know, some sort of oracle deck right now and use the picture of a floppy disk to represent save... You know, a hundred years from now, somebody's going to need a book to explain to them that that's what that picture means. Because there won't be any floppies. That is true. That is very, yeah. Um, God, I haven't seen a, I haven't seen a floppy disk in a really long time. (laughs) I almost want some now and I want to make some weird costume out of them because it's not like they're functional as like a a tech object anymore. (laughs) Oh, I bet you can probably buy them in bulk off of ebay just a whole pile of old useless floppy disks <laughs> i've got my next mardi gras costume idea right there <laughs> so uh i i want to switch gears a little bit and ask you some other uh tarot related questions because you read tarot in new orleans i do yes which is kind of cool right like that's sort of one of those uh tarot or divinatory destination spots like you must be you must have an interesting culture around uh around tarot that you could engage in anytime you wanted like what what's it like there what how how's the tarot uh i mean yeah tarot is a huge part of the culture here for better for worse it's not that it has anything to do with uh haitian voodoo but because of Haitian voodoo, or not even Haitian, because New Orleans, I'm sorry, Cajun is what I was trying to say. Cajun voodoo mm-hmm. versus Haitian voodoo. Anyways, it has nothing to do with that. But because of that, New Orleans has this like special quality where people will just accept any kind of magic as like rightfully being belonging here. And so in that way, I get a lot of, of positives in that none of my peers think it's weird that this is what I do for a living. I don't mm-hmm. have any 
it doesn't matter that maybe they don't do magic. They don't know anything about magic. They don't know anything about tarot. But what I'm doing, not weird. Not even, it's casual. It's cool. They probably have other friends that do it. So there's that aspect that's nice. It's like, you know, when you're used to being an outcast, to Mm. no longer feel othered, or to like be in a community where you're like not being made to feel othered for our, our not societal normal choices uh that's Mm -hmm. that's amazing (laughs) uh it's nice that like if i really can't pay my rent or something is like really wrong financially not that i've ever had to do this but i have the option to just grab a table and chairs and set up in jackson square and just collect people walking by and that's also casual that's normal there's probably seven eight of them out there at any given time. And there's always at least four of them out there every night as well. So seriously. Yeah. Seriously. Just you don't need tarot a tarot readers on the street. Yeah. Street readings, wow. street readers. Huh? So that is a very real part of life here because of that though. The negative to me would be twofold. The first is that there's a lot of what I would call grifters not that, again, like, I I fancy myself a mystic. I have a lot of mercury in my chart, so I don't feel personally offended by your grift because you're not grifting me. But in some ways, it does affect my business because, A, the, the, the field becomes oversaturated with readers. There's so many of us here. Half of them are charlatans. They just know they can make money from it. Uh, only about half of them legitimately know what they're doing. And I will say this. I will say this having worked at pretty much almost every shop in the French Quarter that you could work at to read tarot. I'm not saying I've worked at all of them, but I've worked at most of them. It doesn't mean that your reader is any more blessed by the gods because they've got an air-conditioned booth versus somebody out on the streets. It really doesn't. There's a lot of nepotism involved in that. It has more to do with how much social capital you have than it does with your reading skills. Um, and the other... We can sort of call this the, uh, the the taco truck rule of tarot readings. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter if they've got an actual restaurant or a truck... The tacos can still be delicious. Exactly. And oftentimes, you know, it's more delicious sometimes when you just happen Mm -hmm. upon it on the street. Um, But the other thing I just, I I did not like this about reading tarot in in the French Quarter. I had three types of clients. One were people who totally didn't believe it. They thought... And they thought I was making it up and that it was all for entertainment purposes and that it was just something you do when you're in the French Quarter. Like, oh, yeah, well, we have money to blow, so let's buy a tarot reading. That's what you do when you're in New Orleans. They're expecting it to be a joke. The cards say something very serious, uh, like, you should divorce your husband. And then they're mad at me, (laughs) you know, and it's like, well, I didn't. I I believe in this. Like, I truly believe in it. And I believe in the wisdom mm-hmm. that it's trying to give. And I've, I've actually worked at shops that were like, don't give bad readings. Like, if your cards say something bad, just don't, you know. Because it was, yeah. it's an industry, you know. Um, my other types are people who who really need help. And maybe I, I can help them a little bit. But they are going to need like more outreach of help than just me. But they only want it to be the reader. They only they want mm-hmm. it to come from the spirits. Hallelujah. God said, do this. They're going to call you every week or come to the shop every week. And then, you know, people, the types of clients that I normally just book through my website online, which is just mystical seekers, magic practitioners, people who like genuinely want to use tarot as honest medicine so i personally as a reader 
the, I know plenty of people who vibe in the chaos. They love reading in the French Quarter. They've done it for mm-hmm. most of their life. I prefer doing it online. Like, I, I live in a city where I could go and I could read in the square any day I wanted with a schedule that I completely make up for me. I would rather do it online just because I want, I like the types of clients that I get online more. So do you pretty much only do online readings then? As of the past couple months, I have only, I've like left my job in the quarter and I've transitioned to just reading through my website. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels comfortable. It it feels very comfortable for me. I'm, I'm less stressed. Um, Again, like I have plenty of lovely friends who still work in the quarter and they love it and they do a very good job of doing what they do. I just have too, I think I just have too much malefic energy in my heart, <laughs> in my chart. <laughs> it's hard for me to, <laughs> to take a lot of the Taurus seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, I definitely, uh, know that feeling like the, the, uh, yeah, the, the tarot tourists, you know, yes. I, I mean, the ones who sit down at the table and like won't work with you at all, you know, with the reading, they're like, I don't believe in this shit. And they just won't. The oh, ones man. who test Those... you, I'm like, look, I am not trying to sit here just for you to like, we're not playing a game of test the witch. Like, I'm not even going to play if that's the <laughs> game you want right now. Yeah. Um. So, uh, okay, let's see. I mean, the, the, thank you. That was actually, that was useful. I, I've been really curious about, uh, about that, you know, when you find, um, cause you know, you, you, there are, there are multiple New Orleans tarot readers on the internet and it's kind of, you know, you stumble across them and you're kind of like, I wonder what that's like, what's that all about? <laughs> so thank you. I, I now have a better idea. I, I, ha- I have never been to New Orleans. I don't think. Oh well. Well, everybody should I, come I took at the least bus once. through. All right, I'll 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 make I'll I'll be down there. J- give me a day. Okay, no. I'll give you a tour. <laughs> Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, okay, I think, so- just want to say it's bittersweet. I just want to emphasize, like, I'm not tr- all negative or all positive on it. It's just like most things mm-hmm. in life, it's bittersweet. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I haven't done um, like in-person public readings or or events and or anything like that since uh, before the pandemic shut down, and um, I kind of miss it. But the other day, I uh, I got my you know I have like my my tarot gig bag, and I unloaded it. Like hey. I hadn't used it in over two years, and I was kind of like I I could probably use this bag for something else, and I unloaded it and put stuff away and it was felt kind of weird. Did it feel liberating at all? I guess it felt like, yeah, in a way liberating, sort of like I wasn't waiting for something to, uh, fall into my lap. You know I mean? I, I hadn't, I hadn't gone out looking for a place to do readings in person. Um, yeah, I guess it felt a little liberating. I, I also think it felt like sort of uh, a start to to cleaning. <laughs> it's my my office is a little bit of a mess right now. <laughs> Why does purification rarely feel good? <laughs> because it's so much work. <laughs> <laughs> so accurate. So accurate. <laughs> Where's that world card? <laughs> I actually pulled the world today as my daily draw. Just oh, interesting. Yeah, but it was uh, it was kind of funny. It was sort of a kind of a last minute thing. I don't I don't always do a daily draw, but today I was um, I found uh, I, I found a bag of the tarot coins. Like I backed them on Kickstarter a couple years ago, and I was like, oh, I'll just pull one of these after I'm done. And it was the world the world coin. So it wasn't I even a card; it was a this. coin. Oh, I love this <laughs> tarot coins. I want some now. I think uh, there's there's a new Kickstarter for them. Oh, okay. I'm going to have to go back it then. 
All right. I'll see if I, I think I have the link somewhere, but I already have so many tarot decks. I, I'm always sort of like, why, why do I keep buying tarot decks? Um, <laughs> Uh, so let's let's go back to the the semiotic containers for a second. Let's see. Uh, so we talked about are those ghosts? Do you have ghosts? <laughs> Did you see my eyes? Yes. <laughs> I have no idea what that was. I really don't know <laughs> what that was. I really hope it was one of my neighbors, but it could have been ghosts. I I really don't. Yeah, know. Yeah, maybe it's ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally like that. Didn't sound normal. <laughs> and I don't know where it's coming from, so just pretend like it doesn't exist and it'll go away. Well, I'm pretty sure I got a recording of it, so <laughs> we'll take a look at it later. <laughs> You're going to message me later like it's an incantation if you run it backwards and be careful. Where's your Bible? <laughs> <laughs> that was its response uh, to purify. No, I'm just joking. Yeah, yeah, it's time to, you should probably think about purifying a little bit. <laughs> uh, okay, so we talked about um, when you first started getting uh, started with tarot, you kind of dove into like the ceremonial magic, um, you know, occult correspondences, astrology, Kabbalah sort of side of things. Um, and then... Uh, do you sort of consider your approach now to be mostly intuitive then? Do you feel like, do you describe yourself as an intuitive tarot reader? So, yeah, I, I would now actually. And I think that that's why I kind of said earlier, well, intuitive tarot is the end game for me because I guess, so mm. what happens is what, Oh my. Ghosts. That what time it was my cat. Okay, so oh. um, <laughs> okay, intuitive tarot is the end game. Yes. So what you'll notice when you start to become more comfortable with your container, and you've got a pretty good handle of what's in your container, you'll mm -hmm. realize there are too many things in this container, and some of them are contradictory. And now when I pull. The the three of, of of swords, I'm like, is this a contract? Is this a broken heart? Is this just some truth that I need to to come to terms with? Like, I don't know, because there's so many different things that now fit inside this container, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where the intuition comes in. You you need to either have a relationship with that deck. If you're using a deck you've never used before, I personally then will utilize the aid of different spirits that I have made tutelary packs with specifically for divination. Uh, I, re I really recommend that for any magic practitioner who, who is taking tarot seriously, especially since being able to divine for yourself becomes increasingly difficult the more mm. you want certain results. And when we we are doing all good magic is sketchy magic. So when we're doing sketchy magic, <laughs> we want to be able to pull our cards and feel more grounded in the reality of what we're observing, of what's happening internally and externally. Um, and so, yeah, making packs with divination spirits will help with that if you struggle with you feeling disconnected from your own intuitive abilities or you notice, I'm really good at intuitively knowing which of the various, you know, things in my container it is when I'm reading for clients but not for myself, whatever. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I do I I do find that like if a sp certain spirit says I like this deck this is the deck I want you to use for me and I have had this happen at least twice where my spirits have said this this is my deck then I maybe will be more like the picture on the the card 
is probably louder than if I just went to Barnes and Noble and brought, bought the pretty deck I saw there or bought the, the deck off Etsy or whatever. And it's my first time using mm-hmm. it. I don't know that I would always feel comfortable using the picture personally, but especially once the spirit has claimed it, I'm like, now that picture has more meaning. So I, I don't mm. know that everybody does it the same way I do. But that's a lot of how I do it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I do have a I do have a little bit of a different approach, but um but we're not gonna talk about that here because I'm gonna come on your podcast. Yes, and exactly. Talk about it. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. Yeah, I think that'll be fun. Uh yeah, I think that there's uh there's kind of a lot to um Explore just in that sort of idea, you know, you, you move from the semiotic uh, container idea, the idea that it can sort of be overloaded or too full for cards, where maybe it even needs to be segmented, right? Where you might have, you know, you might be pulling your your three of swords in a particular deck and being like, I am not using any, you know, ceremony magic for this. It's going to be all astrology or it's going to be mm-hmm. all Kabbalah or something like that uh, to this concept where, you know, the, the tutelary spirit or the, the divinatory spirit uh, might move you to uh, select various things from that container, no matter what that's um, yeah, I guess there's so much going on in there that you might have to, call yourself an intuitive reader, huh? Yes. Just knowing which bucket to pull from. Yes. And I think like that's that's really what what you're striving for is this like submission to the spirit or spirits mm-hmm. or God or or whatever the otherworldly force is, you know, the daemon, uh the noose. Submit, submit and allow that to to then bring up of its own accord out of the wellspring of your understanding of that container because it's an interdependent relationship. The spirit knows mm-hmm. what I've put in the container, okay? And then it will bring up from the wellspring of that knowledge into the forefront of my mind the the version of that card that it wants for this reading. And and I am the type of person who does this very well for clients and very poorly for myself. And that I'll just start talking. I won't even know what I'm saying. Words are just coming out of my mouth. You know, uh, sometimes yeah. I'll look at a spread and I'll be like, I have no idea what I was trying to say. But I start talking about it. And before I I know it, they're crying the reading was very moving to them. And then I won't even remember what the reading was like an hour later. And that to me is, it was spirit. It's all yeah. this ability to, to channel what the spirits want to say. And it's like a joint project between me and, and my spirits. And that's why it takes a lifetime. That's why it, it, mm-hmm. there's always more to learn, always more to put in your container, always deeper into trust that I can fall. Like I still can barely read for myself, (laughs) frankly. And I try not to because it just confuses me. Uh, I do it. I do uh, uh, speed reading practice um, (laughs) sometimes where I'll just pull three cards really quickly and then I'll like interpret them really fast and then I'll pull three more cards on top. So I don't actually try to read for myself. I just sort of read for an imaginary person. I like that. But yeah, reading... Reading for myself, it, it is really tricky. And I think it gets harder the more you know. It does, yeah. No, it definitely does. Yeah. Because sometimes I'll pull, if I pull a, a I, I really want them to say yes. I really want them them to say yes. And I pull a more negative card. I find myself making excuses, like running through my head. Like, <laughs> what are the various other things that this could possibly mean besides the thing I don't want it to mean? You know, how can I spin this in my favor? <laughs> <laughs> that's when you get on the tarot forums and you're like, Hey everybody. <laughs> See, you caught me. <laughs> no, I, I just, I think I've gotten to a point in the past year or so where I just don't even really try anymore. 
because it's arbitrary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not good at it. I hope to one day be good at it, but I'm too invested in my own desires. I haven't detached from my ego enough or whatever needs to be done for me to, cause I can't, mm-hmm. I, the, the issue is I cannot submit. This is like, I'm trying to like, converse this mystic idea of submission to god and that being true liberation and the true ability to do intuitive divining because you don't want the thoughts of your mind to get in the way and when i am reading for a client i don't care i half the time don't even know you whether it says positive or something negative i'm just I'm comfortable being a mediator between you and spirit right now. When I'm reading for myself, mm-hmm. I'm invested. I have things I want it to say versus things I don't want it to say. This is a bit different than just pulling one, you know, if you're doing meditative readings, which is like, what energy should I meditate on today? Or what is my card of the day? Is a little bit different than saying like, should I do X or Y? Which is when I first started reading, I was so guilty of, of trying to ask my cards every decision I needed to make because I'm a Gemini rising mm-hmm. and I'm very indecisive. <laughs> Let the spirits answer <laughs> for me, but they won't because it, it doesn't work that way or I, I'm not, I'm not practiced in meditation enough for it to work that way. I don't know yet, which is true. Yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about that before. You know, I mean, I've, I always uh, tell people who are first starting out that they should draw cards and meditate on them. But like, you know, even when I drew the world coin today, I wasn't thinking of anything in particular. I was like, what what tarot card should I be thinking about today? I don't really consider it to be necessarily divinatory. At least I hope not. I'm not planning on doing any world-based things today. <laughs> and it seems... <laughs> Seems like that could be a, a bad omen to be sneaking up on you. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I, I mean, you know, it's one of three ending cards. So I get it's the best of the three ending cards. So it just depends on what, where you're at. Some days, yeah. maybe it's a good thing. Some days it's a bad thing. Mm. But the question that we ask is very important. Like you're asking, what card should I meditate on? So it's not divinatory. Mm-hmm. It's just saying this is yeah. what you should meditate on. This will be good for you psychologically. Uh, in her book on tarot and the Deccans, T. Susan Chong. Oh, yeah, Susie. Yeah. You can just call her Susie. Susie. She was. <laughs> I mean, I guess I can't tell you that for her, but. <laughs> yeah, she's been, you guys seem like your friends. She's been on your podcast a good couple of times. I'm going to be hanging out with her on Friday, actually. Aw, we can tell her I liked her book. I will. I will. I'll pass that along. I think it's an excellent book. You're, it is, you're, yeah. I, I agree with you. So she will. She was talking about it more like, I pull a card to divine what is going to happen to me that day. And so it was very much a divination. So it's the, the question mm-hmm. matters, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and I, and I think that they can give you different insights into the card. When I'm meditating on a card, I'm tapping into its spiritual value. What is it trying to teach me on a spiritual level? When I'm asking what's going to happen to me today and I pull a card and I choose not to interpret it, I choose to just go my day and sit down at the end of the day and meditate what happened to me today and how might that match up with the card. That's oh, yeah. a completely different exercise. Mm-hmm. And I think they, mm-hmm. they're both valid. They both give you one is more like what's going to ha- action happen in real life. What does this card represent, you know, palpably? Versus what is the lesson of this card? What is this card's wisdom? It's two different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, then I'm not going to worry about it. You can just (laughs) sit over there, world coin. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not trying to end anything today, but I'll think about it. I'll think about ending things. (laughs) 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 <laughs> well, uh, this has, I, I feel like we've got a pretty good amount of, uh, material for this. 
Why can you tell everybody how to find you online? I mean, I suppose I told them your Saturn Vox on uh, Instagram and Twitter, and I sp- and wisely enough, you're also SaturnVox.com. Yeah, it's su- right? it's super easy for me. Uh, you know, I I almost named the podcast something else, but then a very wise friend said, "You already have a brand." <laughs> So yeah, it's just yeah. everything is Saturn Vox. You could do SaturnVox.com for my website, and it's got my merch, it's got my readings, it's got my blog, and my podcast. You can Apple or Spotify the podcast and Twitter or Instagram mm-hmm. Saturn Voxes, where I try to uh, post something relevant for the algorithm so people will listen to my show. <laughs> Yes, yes, it's a good show. I uh, I listened to it. Oh wow! Thank um, you. And you're you're welcome. And you're getting ready to start a new uh, uh, season, right? Or a new, you're starting up episodes again? Yeah, so. yeah. I just started the new season, so I'm two episodes into season two right now. It's pretty exciting. Cool. Um, and you've had some really, really uh, interesting guests lately. You had uh, Lon Milo Duquette, and you had Brian Wilkins. Mm-hmm. Um. Those are your two most recent, I believe. Yeah, right? those were the two season two yeah. guests. We're both delights. Yeah, getting Lon Milo was such a joy. He was so funny. And getting a mm-hmm. chance to talk to uh, Brian about his newest book published through Reveler Press was also a joy. I've been very blessed mm-hmm. by the people who have agreed to be on my podcast. I don't, I was really not known in the in the culture world and a lot of them said yes anyway which just goes to show the depths of humility of a lot of my peers and mm-hmm. uh just it's been a it's been a wild ride it's been a joy well i'm glad to hear that i hope that uh i hope that uh hordes of my listeners probably fewer than a million <laughs> but you know <laughs> at least one horde okay <laughs> head on over one horde, just one horde. <laughs> That's got to be at least ten people, right? What's what's the quantification yeah, of a yeah. horde? Exactly. I don't know. I don't know. How many orcs <laughs> travel in a bunch? <laughs> uh, a dozen, I think. That's. Did you hear ghosts again? <laughs> I, did. <laughs> I did not hear them that time. Okay, something something is happening in my apartment right now. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm sorry about the sound disturbances. Oh, it's no problem. I I will uh I'll uh, take full advantage of them. <laughs> uh well, thank you for coming on. This has been really fun. I'm looking forward to um to being on uh, your podcast and it'll give people sort of a chance to you know, get a double dose of us. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I, I am really looking forward to hearing your rebuttal responses on my overly academic view of tarot. <laughs> Mine might be more academic. I don't know. I guess we're going to have to wait and find out. Ooh, but Battle be... of the theorists. <laughs> <laughs> I can't Battle wait. of the well actuallys. <laughs> like any good Jew should. Not that you are, yeah. but you know, we we learn we learn from the best. This has been another episode of the Arnamancy Podcast. Thank you for joining me. I have been your host, Reverend Eric. You can find Arnamancy online at arnamancy.com, and you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting the Arnamancy Project for as little as one dollar a month at patreon.com slash arnamancy. <laughs> <laughs>